you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you who are here with us in person. Let me welcome you, and we're so glad that you're here with us. And want to welcome those of you who are joining us online uh, and recognizing that whether you're walking in this morning, whether you turn on the screen, whoever is hearing my voice this morning, I want you to know that you are prayed for, you are cared for, you are loved, that I know that God has a specific message for each and every one of us through the power of his word. And so I'm excited and I look forward to see what God has in store as we unpack his word together. And that goes for those of you that might be listening or watching later throughout the week that we want to just acknowledge that we're all gathering here together to see what God has for us in his word because we know that the word is living and active, that God's word is inspired, it is God-breathed, And we recognize that it is useful for rebuke and teaching and encouragement and challenging us. And so we we honor that and we want to make sure that we are leaning into what God has for us, not based on what the world is encouraging us or the voices we hear externally throughout the week, but through the voice of God and the power of his word. And so we want to make sure we are taking time to dive in together every Sunday morning. And I want to challenge and encourage all of us to make sure we are diving in throughout the week as well that no one could be sustained on one meal a week, and in the same way, none of us could be sustained if the only time we're opening up God's Word is once a week on a Sunday morning. And so uh, we're really excited um, just to be able to conclude this series called Seasons Together. So as we get ready to dive in, I would ask, would you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to study Psalm 30? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for each person who is part of our service today, whether that's live in person, live online, listening or watching later. God, each person who hears my voice is someone that you created, is someone that Jesus, you died for, and Holy Spirit, each person is someone that you want to draw at least one step closer to the Father today. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If you've been with us in our series called Seasons, we've been looking at various seasons in our walk with God, looking at it through the lens of Psalms written by David, acknowledging that Psalms 31, 14, and 15, David talks about the idea that he trusts God and that his times or his seasons are in God's hands. And so we've been looking at different Psalms throughout this series, looking at how David experienced, what was it like to be in the in the summer of of his walk with God, when there is abundance and blessing and things are going well? What's it like when there's that fall from grace, that moment where the world we thought was ordered a certain way starts to turn on its head and there's a disorientation that happens? How do we navigate that? Then last week we unpacked the idea of what's it like to be in a winter with God, to feel like it's always winter, but never Christmas. And today we're going to conclude our series looking at the idea of spring, that hope springs eternal. And this is a phrase that is very common within uh, our culture. And it comes from, um, some of you may know, some of you may not know, it comes from Alexander Pope who wrote this poem years ago. And so I want to put this quotation on the screen. It says, hope springs eternal in the human breast, but never is 
but always to be blessed. The soul, uneasy and confined from home, rests and expatiates in a life to come. And so I think we all understood what that means 100%, right? Like we all get it. Um, this is one of those where I was, uh, before I uh, wanted to, before I felt called to go into ministry, um, I always wanted to be a, an English teacher, and I specifically wanted to teach English to high school students. That it was when I was in high school, and when I was going through a hard time, I had a few teachers that poured into me. And so I thought, how can I have that impact on other people, on other students specifically? And so I wanted to, I went to UC San Diego in order to study um, literature and writing and teaching. But halfway through my journey in college, uh, God changed the trajectory of my life in which I thought I was going to college in order to learn how to teach Shakespeare, but God started doing a work in my life and called me to teach scripture. And recognizing that sometimes we just see these ways that God changes our lives and our direction. With all that said, I still, have a, I still look at things uh, with a literature mindset, or I still look at things of how to figure out, which I think has helped as I unpack passages of scripture. And so we're going to unpack here in a few moments what that looks like, but the main point for this section is the idea that hope springs eternal is a phrase that we've heard very often, and it's got one or two often um, common usages. One of the common uses is the idea of you know, no matter what happens in our lives, like, there's still hope. We can still recognize that hope is necessary, hope is valuable, it is valued, and it's something that even in the darkest circumstances, there can still be hope. Hope can still spring eternally, always, and we can still, in the middle of difficult times, trusting something will get better. But there's also, like, the, the um, pejorative or, 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 like, the mocking sense in which it's, like, you know, when something is completely hopeless and it's like an ironic statement. So, you know, the, the Giants are losing by a lot. There's no chance we can make the playoffs unless if every other team lost every game and we would win every game. So you could say, well, the Giants aren't going to make the playoffs, but hope springs eternal. Like, maybe it'll still happen. But it's used either ironically, where we kind of mock it, or it's used in a way that points us to the fact that hope is so ingrained in us that it is created in us so that we can still persevere through difficult times. Now, I hope that we can um, assume or hope that we, as we come together, we're not going to use this idea of hope in a mocking sense. We're going to unpack what kind of hope is the kind of hope that allows us to persevere. What kind of hope is the hope that is a, not a false hope, but a true, one true hope that allows us to be able to experience a springing up of hope of new life in the midst of difficult seasons. So as we've been going through this series together, we've been unpacking and looking at three different types of psalms in Walter Brueggemann's explanation called Spirituality of the Psalms. Now, it's a very easy, or I shouldn't say easy, it's a short read, um, and so I encourage you to take a look at it. It's about 100 pages or so. But what we've been looking at over the past few weeks is acknowledging these three different types of psalms and how they speak into our walk with God and our relationship with him. The first that we talk about is the idea of psalms of orientation. This is like summer when everything is going great, when life is ordered properly, and when we do good things, good things happen to us, and so we give God glory and praise because our life is going the way we want it, and we are excited, and there's an abundance, there's blessing. But then we hit fall, and fall is the first step of disorientation. That's when the ordered life, the way that we like it, is turned on its head, and there's a transition from things are great to God, I thought you were great, but now things are bad. 
And if our, the depth of our theology and our faith only means that if it's so shallow that it's when things are good, God is good, but when things are bad, God must be bad, then God might need to take us deeper and more intentionally and more intimately through difficult times so we could lean into him to recognize he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That when we go through difficult times, he's, his character doesn't change. He's trying to make our character change to become more like him and to draw close to him. So disorientation is when we experience these psalms that we read about that are ones when the world is turned upside down, and that encapsulates the fall and the winter seasons. But this week, we are entering into, and to close out our series, the idea of spring, of um, new hope and new orientation. Here's how Walter Brueggemann describes it, if you turn your attention to the screens. He says, The new orientation is not a return to the old stable orientation, for there is no such going back. That's important. It's not that we just go back to how things were, but we are going forward and deeper to understand more closely who God is. The psalmists know that we can never go home again. Once there's been an exchange of real candor, as there has been between Yahweh and Israel, there's no return to the pre-candor situation. And I think we know this, right? When we've gone through difficult times, we long to go back to how things were, but so often we don't go back to how things were. We go back to a phrase that we all have gotten loathed of or we loathe over the past few years, but a new normal, right? It's a new orientation. It's a new idea. And so when it comes to this concept and this context of relationship with God, it's that our relationship with God is deeper than it was before, not the same as it was before. It's the idea that God is working something new in our lives. And this new orientation, after coming out of the winter and the fall and the death and the discouragement, breeds the new hope that springs eternal in our lives, that we can face what comes next. And then, as we've discussed in the very first week, that new orientation in time will then become the stable orientation, and then we'll experience disorientation, and the cycles continue. As God draws us closer, takes us deeper, because in the midst of the ups and downs, the highs and lows, and the ebbs and flows of our life, remember that the more things change, the more God stays the same. The more we realize it's not his character that changes, it's our circumstances. And thanks be to God that our peace is not contingent on our circumstances, but it's contingent on his character. And so we can rest assured that in the midst of difficult seasons, we still cling on to our good God, even when there seems to be nothing good around us. So here's what we're going to look at. I mentioned earlier that uh, my, my English literature brain or the way I look at things, and I used to, I, I used to be one of those guys who lo- likes writing papers. I know, I'm sorry. But uh, I enjoy writing papers, and I remember I enjoy when I'd be in college, and I would, you know, I'd try to get the thesis, I would do the research, and I would, you know, boil it down. But then um, I wouldn't title my paper until I completed the paper. The reason being is that I wanted to see where the paper went, how it lined up, where, what the end result was, and then you tie it into the beginning of your introduction so that it's all one cohesive piece of writing rather than just random chapters or random paragraphs in sequential order. I wanted it to be um, fluid throughout. So there's this uh, method when it comes to whether it's writing or whether it comes to, in our case, looking at scripture, we can use what's called an hourglass method. Hourglass method, anyone have any familiarity with that terminology? No, just me? Okay, great. So um, what we're looking at here, the hourglass method, we'll put on the screen. The very beginning of a paper or an explanation or in this case, our psalm, the very beginning is the lead. What are you leading out with? What is the main thing? Then you build upon that important facts. 
You start stating your case, you start citing examples, you start giving insight, and then you get to what they call the transition or the turn. And this is where the thesis statement, or this is where the context changes. This is when you're able to speak into something that's not just what has been experienced by others, but where you are and how that changes your perspective, how it changes your insight, and how that can essentially or eventually change how we live. And then you support that, again, with more important facts, that it's not just purely your own, you know, um, crazy intuition of things, but you're, there's ways to support that in the text, and then it leads to the conclusion. The lead and the conclusion are often intertwined and connected. Why? Because it's one cohesive piece of writing. All that to say, none of you thought you're going to hear Alexander Pope, Hourglass Method, and get literature uh, context today, but here's why I want to unpack it is that as we look at our text in Psalm 30 today, there's a structure that is very similar to the hourglass method. And I want to draw our attention to it because when we understand the structure of how the psalm is written, it emphasizes the most important part of it. It emphasizes the transition and the turn, and it shows us why those verses in the middle of the passage, which we will get to, are the ones upon which we need to spend the most time, the ones upon which we need to wrestle, and the ones that can change how we move out of a season of disorientation into a new orientation, into a new a season of spring, and how to have new hope that can spring eternal. So what I want to do is point our direction to the hourglass there, and we're going to start off in Psalm 30. The first part that we see, the lead of this psalm is the idea of praising the Lord for what he has done. It's praising for what the Lord has done. We're going to read the first three verses together, as we start to, again, look at the structure and unpack how David wrote this psalm. Verse 1. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. That David is writing in this section, he's referring to, we don't know the specifics of this instance, but it's an illness or it's something that he thought that he was going to die. That it was, and remember, this is back in the day when illnesses, you know, we didn't have them, they didn't have medical technology the way that we have it now. And there are many things that would have caused death then that would not necessarily cause death now. However, it's this moment of, he's like, I will praise you. I will extol you. I will lift you up. Why? Because of what you've done for me. You lifted me out of the depths. This word lifted is the same type of verbiage that would use for drawing a bucket out of a well. It's taking something from the depths and lifting with all your weight, or excuse me, all your strength in order to lift it up out of the depths of darkness. You did not let the enemies gloat over me, Lord. I call to you for help and you heal me. See, last week we're talking about what happens when we call and Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? And when we're in winter, that's how we feel. We, we live in that tension of how long, God, how come this is happening? But then we held on to the encouragement to, that we need to hold on in the midst of that. And when we hold on, when we are holding tightly to God, then we start to see and we can look back on how he's healed us, how he's worked in us, how he's allowed us to be brought up from the realm of the dead. And that can be a physical illness that has been healed, or it could be even just the death that happens when we are far from God and he heals us spiritually so we have a right relationship with him by 
surrendering our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then now we have moved from death to life. The old is gone, the new has come, and that we are now new creations. So there's this idea, Walter Brueggemann explains it this way. Most frequently, the Psalms stay with the experience to bring the speech to a second decisive move. The first move is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. The first move from orientation to disorientation, when life throws us curveballs and things no longer are what we think they would be. But they talk about a second decisive move from disorientation to new orientation. That is, the Psalms regularly bear witness to the surprising gift of new life just when none had been expected. The idea that he said, I was crying out and you healed me. I didn't know how long it was going to take, but you did it. There are some neighbors of ours that um, we know through a mutual friend. We found out that uh, we lived uh, close to some, uh, someone there. And uh, the husband has, uh, been, has been having a, a bout with cancer. And so um, they walk, the, the wife walks her dog, which is um, like a gray um, labradoodle. And we have our ember, who is our um, apricot, is his official color. Didn't know that it went that specific with dogs, but he's an apricot golden doodle. And when I found out about this mutual friend and how the husband was, uh, had cancer, I would, whenever I would walk the dog, um, I would pray for them and pray for him while we were walking by their house. And so, you know, it would often be a, a quick prayer, but I would see their house coming, I would pray for him, um, pray for the family. And then a couple times I would bump into, not literally, but, you know, because of the dogs, but um, I would run into uh, the wife, and I would say, hey, like, I, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. One time when I walked out, her and the husband came out, and I let them know I've been praying for them. Every time I walk the dog, um, I, and I walk by your house, I pray for you. Yesterday, we were, um, the girls were outside riding their bikes, and I was inside in the garage trying to organize some things, and um, I hear a woman's voice that was saying, you know, hey, girls, is your dad home? And so, I walk out, and here's, here's that woman uh, with her dog, and she's like, I just, I need to tell you something. I said, absolutely, what is it? She said, you know, my husband, he went in for his uh, PET scan recently, and the cancer is just completely gone. Like, it's absolutely gone, and I just wanted to share with you. I, I know you've been praying. I know you've been faithful. And what was so cool for me, one, is hearing that. Two, God is good and recognizing that. Three, my girls got to hear the story of, A, how prayer how God can answer prayer, how God can still do miracles, and how that's so part of our life is just to pray for people and to see how God answers. But it was this idea of, she's like, she just, the, she just, I needed to tell you. Why? Well, because when God has done a thing in our lives, when there's new life where life had not been expected, we cannot help but share the good news with people. We cannot help but share how God has healed us, whether it's physically. We cannot help to share how God has healed us in our relationship and our brokenness from sin by giving us, by showing us a right relationship with Jesus and we surrender our lives to him and then we get to have new life. We can't help but share the good news because where there once was death, there's now life. Where there once was hopelessness, there's now hope. And hope can spring eternal. So, we want to, we praise God for what he's done, but that's not all we praise him for because if we get in the mindset or in the habit of only praising him for what he can do for us, then it becomes a very transactional relationship. You have those friendships or those relationships where people just want stuff from you. They don't want to get to know you. Those are draining. Those are tough for us. 
And so we don't just praise God for what he's done. We praise the Lord for who he is. Who's his character? What is he like? And why is that worthy of our praise? Continue on verse 4 and 5. And this is David talking to people around him, saying, sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. He's now talking to the other people, saying, listen to what God has done. He's healed me. He helped me. He drew me out of the depths. Let's all praise God. Why? Because I cannot help but share the good news of when God has brought me into new life. To sing the praise of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. It's recognizing that no matter how difficult the times we have are and how long the winters are, because they can feel long, friends. This isn't diminishing the length of winter. It's emphasizing the goodness of God throughout it. It's not saying that you won't experience these difficult seasons. It's saying that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's saying that he is with us and his character never changes. And it's saying that the anger or the difficult times, God can withhold goodness from us for a season, but his goodness lasts a lifetime. Even in the context of our lives, I've seen Francis Chan put, use an illustration before, and, and um, Philip did it on our, on our Thursday nights, where you see a huge rope, like the length of this room, and you, and you put a, a piece of tape on it. And you talk about how if the length of rope is all of eternity, that tiny piece of tape is our entire span of life. And it gives us the perspective to recognize that even if our tiny span of life is, is wrought and riddled with heartache, if we lean into the Lord, we get to enjoy eternity with him. And so even our difficult years in comparison to forever, yes, they're hard. They're for a season. They're not forever. And recognize that we could lean into him and we could say, God, your character is that you are someone who brings life out of death. You are someone who brings dancing out of mourning. You are someone who allows for the darkest moment in all of history, Good Friday, to be the siege through which the new life, the hope springs eternal on Resurrection Sunday. You are the one that takes my weeping, my wailing, my mourning into dancing and rejoicing. That is who you are. And you are worthy of praise. So we start the funnel structure. Now, I wanted to give enough time or a good amount of time at least for this next section because as we've been following along, we have the top, which is we praise the Lord for what he's done. Then we want to praise the Lord for who he is. But these next two verses are the crux, are the center, are the turn, the transition of the psalm. And so these are the two hopes that we see proposed in front of us. The two hopes that we see. And here's how we unpack this starting in verse 6 and 7. And this is going to be the section. We have a little, few more verses, a few more illustrations, because I want us to land on these two verses and see how wrestling with it can allow us to process and to move forward into what the season that God has for us and deeper into a relationship with him. So here's what verse 6 says. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Now, when I first read that, my first thought is, okay, cool. Like when he felt like his relationship with God was good, then he felt secure. That seems like a good statement to make. 
But it's when studying it that you start to see the context that maybe I didn't initially see, but that's why we have study. That's why we go into commentaries. That's why we see, you know, we ask questions about the text and we learn more about who God is when we dive deeper. So there's a quotation from Dale Ralph Davis who wrote a book on this. He goes about 12 Psalms at a time and goes, um, just does a really good job unpacking some of the main themes. And so he says this, it was Yahweh's own provision that had given David that sense of security. But somehow, as many of us know, there is a subtle chemistry that corrupts Yahweh's grace into self-sufficiency, that enjoys his goodness and twists it into a self-assured cockiness rather than a God-derived confidence. In other words, God is the one that makes us secure, but it, if we're not careful, we make it about our own that God has given us so much, and then we make the false assumption that it's, we are the ones. We are the ones that allow this to, good things to happen. That all these blessings have been because of my own goodness, my own ability, my own desires, and my own perseverance and self-will. As my old pastor would say, and as we've joked about here, that we, we like in America to celebrate the self-made man, which is good. It's okay to celebrate hard work and perseverance, but whenever we say we're self-made people, the, the, the question back is, well, which part of yourself did you actually make? Because if I made myself, I'd give myself a few extra inches of height and a few more ab muscles that could be visible. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't make myself. You didn't make yourself. Yet we want to take credit for God's work. So when we take credit for God's work, when we try to take his glory out of what he's doing, but we want to attribute it to our own security, and we are the ones, this is my stable ground, there are times when God reserves the right to shake our foundation so we find our foundation in him. If we have idols that we put above God, that we exalt, we lift up other idols, other things we are pursuing more than God, God reserves the right to hide his blessings from us. And we get dismayed, as David did in verse 7. And when that happens, we realize, you were the one. You're the one that made my royal mountain secure and firm. I couldn't do that. You're the one that made the mountain in the first place. You're the one that allows me to experience these blessings. It's not about my own goodness. That's why we, want, we don't want to give ourselves credit. We want to give God glory for our lives. Timothy Keller continues this in uh, his devotional through the book of Psalms. He says, verses 6 and 7 show how even after a recent act of God's deliverance, remember, God just rescued David from the pit of death, we can slip back into self-confidence, this time by thinking of God's favor as a right we earned. But God shakes our confidence in our earthly life so that we can yearn for our heavenly life where our joy is truly unshakable and where our wailing will be turned into dancing. God shakes our confidence in our comfort so that we can find confidence in him as the God of comfort, as our comforter. It's acknowledging the fact that here are the, here are the things. That was our false hope. The false hope is that it's all about our own safety, our own... Um, comfort. It's all about us. And so if we are good and we set our, our lives, we are the ones that determine. We are the captain of our own souls. We are the ones who determine our destiny. And David says, when I did that, I felt secure, but I wasn't. Because God, you were the one that made me secure on my holy mountain. 
in our sense, in our days, it's when we feel like whatever it is that you pursue, if it's money, when we feel like our money is secure, then we are confident. If it's the approval of other people, when I feel like people are okay with me, then I'm confident. If it's getting the best grades in school, well, when I get a straight A report card, then I'm confident. Whatever it is that fill in the blank, whatever that is for you, when we think of that as, okay, this is, this is on me, I, I, I feel great. If we take credit and have a self-centered focus rather than a God-centered confidence, then God reserves the right to remind us where our confidence comes from. He rattles our earthly foundation in our earth life so we could yearn for the heavenly one. He gives us that rope and he shows us the rope and he shows us our life on this piece of tape and he says, listen, if you, things are hard here, but because things are hard here, it stirs within us as Ecclesiastes 4.13, eternity in our hearts, that we can comprehend the foreverness of a relationship with God. And eternal life is not just going to heaven when we die. John 17.3 tells us that eternal life happens when we know the Father and the Son sent by him. So eternal life starts the moment we follow Jesus and we have a right relationship with God through him by confessing he is Lord and believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouths. That eternal life can start now so that even when our difficulties happen in our, however many years the Lord gives us, we can know we can have eternity. We can yearn for a heavenly life when there is no more weeping, no more pain, no more heartache, no more tears. We read those, that description of heaven in Revelation and it stirs up something in us. Because we felt heartache, we felt tears, we felt pain for ourselves and those we love. It's like something's not right. And because no matter how painful these years are, and I'm not diminishing anyone's pain, I'm not devaluing or saying it's not real. It is real. And that's why we wanted to spend time in the winter and fall seasons to acknowledge how to wrestle and to navigate this difficult dynamic when we, when we have a relationship with God through difficult times. So it's not devaluing that, but it's also adding value to eternity in our heavenly life with him. So, the false hope is when we unpack that. The false hope is when we say it's about us. But friends, remember what we talked about in the funnel. There's a moment of the turn. And in the turn is when we start to see where the most value is, where the importance is. Many of you may have um, heard or are aware of the story of Vice Admiral James Stockdale, who was the highest ranking um, military officer in the Hanoi Hotel. So when in Vietnam, he was the one, he was the highest ranking officer there that was prison in war during the Vietnam conflict, the Vietnam War. So what he ends up talking about, because people afterwards, James Collins interviewed him, and we have a picture of um, Vice Admiral Stockdale um, on the left and then on the right as well afterwards. But they interviewed him afterwards and said, how did you, you know, how did you get through that? How did you persevere? What was that like? And then they asked specifically, who were the ones that maybe had the hardest time while being a prisoner of war? And this is what he described. He says, oh, that's easy. The optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go and then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. 
He continues on. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. It's saying that if we just would navigate, we think there's, we, we bit buy into a false hope sometimes that thinks, okay, things will get better by this date. And then when that date happens and things aren't better, we push it back a little bit more. And then when that happens and we have a false hope and we place our hope in something that is, that, that we think is going to be the right deadline, but it's not something that is God breathed. He said it's not going to be this day. It's saying we put false hope in a thing. So here's how we respond in winter when we are struggling for hope. One, we try to find false hope. We put deadlines on things. We try to make it through. We grin, our, we grin and bear it. We try to make it you know, through the difficult season. But when, if it's a false hope, and when that time passes, in the words of Vice Admiral Stockdale, we get to a point where we can die of a broken heart because we're so overwhelmed that it did not work out the way we had hoped. The second thing that we often do would be to just lose hope altogether. If we just think there's, in his case, to think there's no way we can ever get out of being a prisoner of war. And that's what he says. He said, you can never confess, or excuse me, confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose. So it's acknowledging in our walk with God, there will be times we try to find false hope, whether it's all about us or something else that we feel like is going to give us hope. There's a tendency to maybe give up hope altogether to think that we will never make it through this trial, this difficulty, this winter season. And we cannot afford to do that. Instead, friends, we find the true hope. We find resilience. And we make it through. As we like to tell our girls, obviously nothing to this extreme. But when things are tough, we can say, you can do hard things. Because resilience is one of the number one character traits we want to raise in our kids. Why? Because life is not easy. And if we could pick ourselves up, even when we don't see hope, or even when there's a false hope, or even when we want to give up hope, but we can get ourselves up and go one step, one bedraggled, exhausted step at a time, eventually we'll be able to look back, whether that's in this life or the next, and we can say, God, I cried out to you and you healed me. We want a healing that takes place on earth. Maybe it's a healing that when we die, there's no more pain. God, you heard me. God, you brought me out of the depths. I will praise you. I will extol you. I will lift you up. So the true hope comes here. Walter Brueggemann talks about this. Rather, the speaker and the community of faith, so this is the psalm writer and the one who is writing this. Remember, he's talking to other people in this psalm. So the speaker, the community of faith are often surprised by grace when there emerges in, pre- in present life a new possibility that is inexplicable, neither derived or extrapolated, but wrought by the inscrutable power and goodness of God. In other words, it is so clear that the miracle happens. It's so clear that the healing happens that it cannot be given credit to the abilities of people. It cannot be derived. It cannot be worked up. It cannot be contrived. It's only through God's power and it's only through his goodness that he's able to give a new life that breathes hope and allows it to spring eternal in our walk with him. We see this embodied in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and through 18. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. What we see is this piece of tape that is a small example that accumulates all the years of our life here on earth. But what is unseen is forever. What is unseen is eternal. And that gives us great encouragement when we follow Jesus and we know that our our eternity is relationship with him. And that could create great fear and anxiety if we don't have a relationship with Jesus and we realize that that's an eternity without That if eternity in, in, with God is no weeping and no pain and no tears, what does that mean for eternity without him? What does that mean for the reality of being far from God for the rest of forever? Friends, we have to decide where our hope is going to be. Will it be in the false hope? Or will we find it in the true hope that points us to a relationship with God that says that no matter what, we can hold on, we can hold fast, we're not going to give up, we're going to persevere because outwardly things are going horribly, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And we yearn for an eternal life with God. So let's, let's complete the, the hourglass structure as we finish the last few verses here together. So after the two hopes, the next step in this structure is to go back to praising the Lord for who he is. It's going back to praising the Lord for who he is. And this is where we see in verse 8 and 9. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. Because what is gained if I'm silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me, Lord. Be my help. This whole psalm, if you were to count how many times the word praise is used, it's it, praise is infused throughout it. So it starts with, I'll extol you and I'll praise you. I praise you because you heard me, you did these great things. Here's where I find my hope because you're the only one that makes my life secure, not my own abilities, but your own goodness. And then he starts to say, listen, if I were to go into the dust, will, that, will, will the dust praise you? No, because God is going to is worthy of our praise. And so if God rescues us, will we be like my neighbor that needs to just go share the good news of what God has done? And we praise him for it to those around us. Will we recognize that because of who he is, he is merciful. He does not give us what we deserve. He is our help in times of need. He does not leave us and forget us forever. We feel that way, but we can hold fast to him. We recognize that we are not alone and he is someone who is faithful. Second Timothy talks about even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. His very character is to be faithful even when it hurts. Even when it costs him his only begotten son. Even when he sends, because he loved us so much that He sent Jesus, his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We recognize that who he is is a faithful, merciful, helpful, present, all-powerful, always with us kind of God. We don't always see him in the winter, but he's still there. And we can yearn for him when our world turns upside down and life throws us curves. 
we can hold fast to the fact that he is still the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Walter Brueggemann continues on when he talks about Psalms of New Orientation. He says this, The speech concerning a rescue, an intervention, or inversion. Remember, like an inversion of the opposite, looking at an hourglass structure. It's an inversion of a quite concrete situation of distress that is still fresh in the mind of the speaker. Is the fact that David almost just died fresh in his mind in the psalm? Absolutely. Was the story of her husband being cured of cancer fresh in the mind of my neighbor when she shared it yesterday? Yes, absolutely. And it's the recognition that these psalms tell the stories of the going into the trouble and the coming out of the trouble. They are testimonies like we hear when someone shares, here's what happened when I went through a difficult time, and here's how God brought me up. He, like a, someone with a well, would bring a bucket out of the depths. He drew me out of the depths of darkness. He rescued me. He healed me. He heard me. He worked in my life in a way that I could not claim credit for, so I must give him glory for. And it's acknowledging the fact that it's nothing to do with our own abilities but it can have to do with our faithfulness and continuing to hold on to him in those seasons. Like we shared, the only way we lose in our relationship with God when it comes to navigating these seasons is when we run from God because of our troubles rather than running to him with our troubles. Because the book of Psalms, if nothing else, points us to the fact that God can handle all of our anger, all of our fear, all of our wailing, all of our mourning, all of our trials, all of our difficulty. God handles, can handle it all. We can confess with candor. And when we open up to God in that way, he takes us deeper and he grows us more closer to him. So let's close. The final part is, again, he closes this psalm with a conclusion, which ties into the lead, the conclusion that is, praise the Lord for what he has done. We finish these last few verses. What did he do? For God, what did God do for David? You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That may, my heart may sing your praises, there's the word again, and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. God, because of what you've done, because of who you are, and because my hope is found in you, I will praise you forever. I will lift you up. And remembering that it's through the goodness of God that we have what we have, not through our own abilities. So I'm going to conclude kind of the sermon, but also the series in a moment, because here's where we're at. I acknowledge on most of these weeks, I'm going to be preaching about fall and, or summer and fall and winter and spring. And when I preach, I know you all are not in all of these seasons. Again, if it was purely mathematically, which it's not, but if it's purely mathematically, I'm preaching a sermon to 25% of us today. But the truth of the matter is, no matter what season we're in, this series or this, this sermon on hope is so, and spring is so important because it's the spring that, the hope that springs eternal in our life that allows us to navigate the transition and loss and fall. It's the one that allows us to navigate the silence and cold of winter. Because when we go outside and you start to see the flowers bloom just a little bit, when the days get a little lighter, a little earlier, it gives us hope that the time of mourning or the time of grief or the time of difficulty is past, not forever, but for a season. Why? Because we know that our spring that we're experiencing now 
will again become summer, which will again become fall, which will again become winter, and the cycle continues. There's a season for everything, as Ecclesiastes 3 mentions. So if there's a season for everything, and we know that our life is, is, a, is a piece of tape on this long rope, and we only have however many years the Lord gives us, what story do you want your life to tell? Is it a story of how things were really tough, admittedly, but that the, the difficult things in our life weighed us down so much that we never were able to experience hope and perseverance and, and victory through Christ? Is it a story where the winters keep us down and cold and isolated to the point where it's, our life is always winter, never Christmas? I want to share a quotation that I love from Lord of the Rings. Uh, so it was Narnia last week, Lord of the Rings this week. You know, we've got plenty of more series for me to dive into over the, the rest of our time together. But here's what I want to leave us with. There's a scene uh, in the movie. It happens near the end of the two towers. Um, and so if you have the extended edition, this is probably at like the three hour and 42 minute mark. You know, like it's, it's in there. But it's a voiceover, and it's Samwise Gamgee, who is the faithful companion of Frodo as they're going, and they, they're trying to navigate. And he's like, look at all these bad things that are happening. But I want to share this quotation. I put it on the screen. If you can read it, I will give you a free handshake and a high five because it's really small, and I should have thought of this ahead of time. But I did print it out so you could at least hear it, even if you can't read it. And here's what Samwise says. And I'm going to try really hard not to do it in the voices like I did with Simba last week. I'm just going to read it uh, straight up. He says this, It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines out, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, that there is some good in the world, and it's worth fighting for. Friends, we could look around worldwide We've been in a season of winter for the past couple years. Now, individually, we might be experiencing some good things too, but as a world, we've experienced some really difficult things. And coming out of that, and I'm not saying things are over, but as things are, we're navigating this new season, what does it look like for us to live the kind of story that says that when things were tough, we persevered? We didn't go back. We didn't turn around. We didn't allow the winter to weigh us down and to freeze us out. But we stepped one bedraggled, exhausted step at a time through the tunnel where we knew not where the light was. And yet it's not because we needed to know what the light was. We know who the light of the world is. And we're able to fix our eyes upon him as the author and perfecter of our faith. That we're holding on to something like a rope in the blizzard from last week. We're holding on to that which gives us our confidence, that which gives us our purpose, and friends, that which gives us our hope. That our relationship with Jesus, our hope, 
It's like an anchor for our souls. That no matter what story you are in right now, no matter what season you are in, no matter what storm you are experiencing, will you, will I, will we live the kind of story that really matters? The one that's beyond how much stuff we could get in our years the Lord has given us. But the kind of story that allows us to persevere and to point other people to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Because we can't take our stuff with us. But God willing, prayerfully, we will be able to bring with us people who are far from God now and we can spend eternity with them in heaven. What's one of the only things we can't do in heaven that we can do here on earth? It's to reach those who are far from God. Will your, will my, will our stories matter by persevering and pointing people to the hope we have in Jesus? No matter what season we're in, we can remember that hope springs eternal. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is part of our services today, whether they're in person, watching online, listening or watching later. God, I pray that you would move in a way that only you can, that you would speak and encourage and challenge in a way only you can. And Lord, I pray right now specifically for people who are part of our service, who are struggling and not feeling hope today. Lord, may you break through the clouds and the storm clouds and give them a ray of sunshine to guide their way. May you help us to have the perspective that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far, far outweighs them all. May you give us the courage and the ability to take one step at a time, holding on to who you are and living a story that matters. We love you, Lord. Work in and through us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.